Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Volume 701, It's a Sensation, January 18th, 2016. Subscribe to our feed at broadwaybullet.com and don't miss an episode. Back for season seven with Tony Award winning orchestrator Alex Lacamoire talking about his work on the current smash musical Hamilton. Have you heard of it? We hear an original podcast musical, As You Were, written by Kerrigan and Loudermilk. And we've got Andrea McArdle here to talk about her new two hander, Two Across, as well as her 45 year career in entertainment, including Annie. So buckle up, it's going to be a great ride. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the music hall at DGF for writers to use for free is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. A location sponsorship also goes out to the longest-running play in America, Sheer Madness, now finally in New York City at the New World Stages. Go check out this funny show that'll leave you laughing and guessing the entire way through. And no, that's not what they told me to say. I saw the show. All right, so we're back with Season 7, and oh, I got so many great interviews for the season when I was in New York in December. Uh, in addition to the great guests you've got coming up in this podcast, this season we're going to hear from Bobby Steggert. We're going to hear from composer Andrew Lippa. We're going to talk to general manager extraordinaire Roy Gabay. We've also got Kate Schindle, the youngest president ever of Actors' Equity, talking about all things there. One of my favorite uh, song stylists and actresses of all time, Lynn Wintersteller, will be appearing later in the season. And we've also got two more featured interviews coming from that musical that some people kind of like, Hamilton. So I hope you'll stick with us through this whole season's journey. In the meantime, let's get on to this episode's amazing guests. Up close. Sitting with me today is Alex Lacamoire a musical director and orchestrator who is currently toiling away in obscurity on a little known <laughs> musical called Hamilton. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. <laughs> What's it like having to try so hard to get attention for a show that deserves <laughs> some accolades and everybody's just ignoring it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a great time. I, I'm having the time of my life. I, I tell everybody, you know, you, you dream of working on a show like this. Do you dream of being a part of something that is resonating with people in the way that the show is? So I, I, I'm just having a blast. It's, it's an honor to be, to be, to be in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be in the room where it happens. Hey. That's for sure. Huh? <laughs> so, um, I guess one of the things that strikes me is really interesting and I, I really want to this is like, I mean, you, you obviously you worked on in the Heights too. Yes. And I, and if people want to find out more about you too, there's also another great interview with you and Bill Sherman. Oh, we had um, so much fun back then. That was a blast. It was like a, a total hoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is like that times 10. 
<laughs> well, uh, it, it's, in, in terms know, of complexity and sure. I, I mean, you know, I, I uh, they're very different. You know, it's it's um to me. I remember when I was involved in Heights. I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, this is really special." And you know, um, there was so much of myself in that show in this sense that you know I was a Cuban American, and here's a show that deals with Latin themes, and here's a show that melds these two styles together. It has you know hip hop and theater, and and like you know um, and Latin music, and it was a big melting pot of stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, it's it's going to be very hard to." find another experience that's going to feel like this. And, um, you know, Hamilton is that times 10. Yes. Mm -hmm. Only because uh, I feel like we're just older and more mature and like now have a, a richer history. I have more experiences and are just wiser, I suppose, you know, cause we're making decisions now that we weren't making 10 years ago. And that's just what happens with, with, you know, that that's life, dude. <laughs> that's just what it is. You get older and, and you just gain a different knowledge, gain a different insight and you're moved by different things. So for me, uh, you know, you can't compare Heights and Hamilton, but what is different about them? I just feel like Hamilton is a more mature work from Lynn mm -hmm. and, and it's cool to see what, you know, what he's up to, with that life experience that he has and, and with the new knowledge of composing that he has that he didn't have 10 years ago. So it's, it's really cool to watch that happen. So I, I think often orchestration is the unsung, you know, hero in, in musical theater. Uh, right I mean, I, I mean, maybe the industry I think gets you to, but a lot of people don't realize how much influence the orchestrator has over, sure. over what it sounds like. And, yeah, yeah, of course. And how different it is. And since you had a relationship with Lin-Manuel from before, I'm curious how early you were involved in, in Hamilton and the orchestrations. To yeah. Start. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, the shows that I work on and, you know, which happen to be the shows that I end up orchestrating, I feel lucky that I get to be involved from the ground floor, because that allows me to really like get into the the soul of the piece, if you will. You know, traditionally orchestrators are, are brought in like very late in the process. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of times orchestrators don't sometimes hear a song until they're in the rehearsal room and they're watching, you know, a run through of a particular number just before they go into a room and orchestrate it. So really their first contact with the song sometimes can be like, you know, the minute that they need to start orchestrating. So I feel fortunate in in the fact that I'm the MD and I get to be there at the genesis of the songs. So therefore I can really like just live with them for a very long time and just like really get a chance to feel them and, and get a chance to uh, uh, collaborate with Lynn in terms of how they end up sounding. So really, you know, it, it becomes very uh, instinctive for me. And then it becomes very second nature because I get to the point where I can just like just go off of just instinct and just go off of feel and not have to really kind of, uh, you know, uh, just sit there and analyze and be really, um, you know, uh, minute about it. It just kind of goes by just blah, you know, it just yeah. kind of pours out. So it's wonderful. And, um, you know, it, it's great that, again, with Lynn, he gives such a great blueprint. Do you know what I mean? It, it's mm -hmm. easy to orchestrate when the writing is at the level of this. <laughs> so really it, it, the, the orchestrations just kind of write themselves. So um, it's really great to be able to, you know, just sit in my room and just, you know, throw ideas into the computer, whether it's me notating notes mm -hmm. uh, into finale or whether it's me, you know, playing guitar parts into logic, you know, mm -hmm. I, I try to go. Are you a logic guy? I'm a logic guy. Yeah. And yeah. a finale guy. So yeah. that's how I build yeah. all my demos and, and Lynn also works in logic. So it's good to be able to transfer files back and forth that way. So um, that, that fluency is there. So it, it's a, it's a great process. And, you know, for me, it, it's a dream to be able to, uh, as I mentioned, to be able to be around the music for so long so that it really just becomes a, a flow. So, yeah. Well, the music is so, you know, contemporary. Um, in fact, in a lot of ways, I truly think this is maybe the most successful uh, yet I've seen of a musical that truly captures the contemporary pop sound. Oh, thank you, man. Thank um, you. Like ever. I, you know, I, as much as I do enjoy Rent when they were like bubbling over, but it, it, like this strikes me as kind of like 15 years dated, like, you know, Pat mm -hmm. Benatar, not, you know, <laughs> not 2000, right? But th th this, you know, hip hop strikes me as very very current, very contemporary. The, the soundtrack even debuted at number one on the hip hop albums yeah, that, chart. Well, it didn't debut. It, it got to, to number one on the rap albums, okay. but that was very cool. <laughs> that, but we got, I mean, that that's like for a cast album, a Broadway cast album to reach number one on the rap charts was just insane. <laughs> and that was unbelievable. And and, th and we're very thankful. So um, how different is it orchestrating? I mean, because to me, this seems like orchestrating for live hip hop kind of real contemporary feel 
but at the same time, knowing that you're going to have to have a pit performance. Yeah. Um, what are like the, the, the challenges in, in figuring that out? Yeah. You know, I, that's a great question. You know, it's funny because, uh, the show for me that was, uh, the precursor to this in terms of how to orchestrate hip hop and electronic, yeah. mu- electronic music into theater was bring it on, which is the yeah. show that I also got to do with Lin Manuel. Yeah. So for me, if it weren't for bring it on, I would not have known how to orchestrate Hamilton plain and simple. Um, because what I've learned and you know, what the challenges are, are how to make it still feel organic, how to not overproduce it mm-hmm. and how to just like keep it clean so that you can still hear the lyrics and still have the story be at the forefront because that's really what's the most important, you know? So I feel like, you know, bring it on. It took a lot of tries to get it right. And I, there were three phases to bring it on. You know, one of them with the first phase, like we didn't have the right kinds of keyboard sounds. The second phase, we were just like overproducing like the tracks mm, yeah. and the loops just had too much stuff on it. And it just cluttered the sound. And then the third phase where we got to Broadway, I think we finally figured out what the right combination was of, of, you know, pre-recorded stuff to live stuff. So because of that, now Hamilton is like 85% live. Really like the only thing that's mm-hmm. like played on tracks and that's pre-recorded yeah. are just a couple of loops and a couple of like, you know, um, like for example, like, you know, the rewind cue and satisfied, like that's pre-recorded. Um, you know, there's like the, the first like opening uh, 15 seconds of 10 Do commandments is yeah. like pre-recorded so that that way when the band does come in 15 seconds later, it's like a really cool fat drop and it feels like huge because the live band just has that r- different kind of like element that the pre-recorded stuff does not. So really it's like, I wanted it to feel organic. I wanted it to feel live. And there's stuff that's live that people don't realize is live. For example, um, the, uh, the rap battles, um, it sounds like it's pre-recorded loops, but it's actually like our two percussionists like going at it with the, you know, drum pads. Mm-hmm. So one guy's playing boom, got boom, got, and then the other guy in percussion is going and together you think it's like a pre-recorded loop, but it's actually two guys doing it. And and it's really cool. So for me, um, you know, the challenges we're, we're tr- trying to figure out just how to, you know, fill the space and how to make it sound huge when we needed to, but how to always just leave like a space in the middle, sonically speaking, to be able to hear the lyrics and have that be, you know, where the attention goes. Yeah. And as, and as good as the album sounds, I also think it's one of the best recorded, you know, one of the best recorded cast albums I've heard for, real clarity and depth, but then live it's even, it sounds even better. Thank you. You can still hear all the lyrics you can see. And then some of those deep, the, some of those deep booms and the, you know, the sub, you know, the you got in the system really hits hard, you know, when the cannon shots come in. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I gotta hand it off to our amazing sound designer, Nevin Steinberg, who is just brilliant. Uh, I also have to hand it off to like the entire team, yeah. like Randy Cohen, our keyboard programmer, uh, Will Wells, who helped like really find cool samples, Scott Washerman, who programmed the Ableton, uh, um, and my amazing band that just like, they're, they're the dopest man <laughs> I've ever gotten a chance to assemble. So uh, I, I really feel honored to be able to make music with these guys. Yeah, so along with orchestrating, yes, you music direct every night and you're down in the pit and you get to stick your head up and wave at yeah, the screaming course. audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. It's a wonderful feeling. So being down in that pit, what, what tell us about your pit because I feel like this has got to be a little bit different pit than a typical Broadway show. Sure, In terms yeah. of energy and actually what they're doing. So tell us about the individual members and kind of how they're, what they're doing. In the, sure. Well, you know, uh-huh. surprisingly enough, you know, I, I do feel like the pit is kind of traditional in the sense yeah. that like, you know, we've got, 10 musicians who are all like A-list players. And in terms of the makeup of the, of the band, um, you know, it's what I always wanted to uh, put together for the show, which is basically like a pop rhythm section mm-hmm. and a string quartet. And the way I always thought of it was like the pop rhythm section was going to give you the modern digital hip hop, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, mm-hmm. Roots yeah. sound. And then the string quartet was going to give you the 1700s. And they were going to mm-hmm. give you the the acoustic uh earthy, woody, stringy, like uh, organic, unplugged sound. <laughs> so put those two together and that's what the sound of Hamilton is. And, you know, uh, Lynn said early on that he wanted the strings to be to Hamilton what the horns were to In the Heights. <laughs> so really like it was a cool uh, color to be able to play with and have that be, you know, a, a part of the fabric of the show. And in terms of the players, like they're all amazing. Like my string quartet is amazing. Um, uh, my rhythm section players are great. I have the same drummer that I had for In the Heights, which is Andres Ferrero. And uh, so it's nice to have 
him at you know at, at there just kind of at the foundation and especially like the relationship that we have because he's a, a like a, a brother that I never had so he's great mm-hmm. and then uh, our percussionist Benny Reiner is like a robot like you think <laughs> like he he's the one that like is triggering a lot of the Ableton stuff and also like playing pads at the same time and he's just so unbelievably consistent and it's just you know I, I could go on and on about all the members of the band and every single one of them is just an absolute solid contribution and um. You know, they're the type of players that I look at them when I'm playing the show and I'm like, wow, you're in my band. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they're all so cool. And it, it's an honor. And I know they love being there. And um, it, it's just great. You know, it's one of those things as an orchestrator, you know, you have to give up uh, mm-hmm. something. You know, you write something down, but then it's up to the musicians to interpret that. So I get to hear this music played like better than I ever could have imagined. You know, so it's one. it's so cool to know that, hey, I put the notes on the page, but the fact that they're bringing it to life and adding something that I never could have is, um, is thrilling. Um, one thing I'm curious about that, because I was really excited to see Lynn make the announcement. Um, I know he said something in a press release that he would like to, in the future, have some of the founding fathers played by women. Hey. And I'm wondering if that has been discussed with you because it's, it's great, but I'm wondering how, how, what's that going to do for range and, you know, and transposing and, 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 and making that happen on a technical level. Yeah, of course. You know, we cross that bridge when we get to it. I mean, I think <laughs> it's a fabulous idea. Uh, you know, uh, Lynn, a lot of times when he composes, you know, he writes stuff for, for his key. So when he writes songs, sometimes it tends to be like where it fits for his voice. So we're actually very, uh, it's a very common thing for us to transpose songs to make them fit for the women's voices. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it's not anything we're not used to or anything that we haven't done before. So if it comes to that, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll figure it out. We always do. <laughs> Cause it just seems like a lot of puzzle pieces to fit together yeah. on this show. But you know what? I live for that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, give me a puzzle. I will, a musical puzzle. I will solve it. Um, we have, a, I know we have at least one question um, that somebody's put in on Twitter and I want to, cool. I want to like get that out before I forget here. Uh, Damien white uh, texted in and he wants to know what your favorite riff is in the show. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I know this is so Which small. baby is here? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of cool moments in the show. I, I guess one that I love uh, in particular is the one Helpless. When, uh, and, and Pippa uh, Sue, who plays Eliza, is absolutely fabulous. And it's funny because I remember, you know, in first working with her, like I asked her like, Pippa, do, do you riff? Like, is that something you do? She's like, no, not, not really something I do. I'm like, oh, okay. But then all of a sudden she comes out with like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, girl, you can riff. And it's, it's she had never really done that kind of singing uh, in, in a show before. So it was really cool to tap into that. But in that song, there's this one moment. I know it's so like small, but she goes, I'm down for the count. I'm, and for whatever reason, where it fits and where it's in her range and where it is in the song, that's just one of those little things I came up with. And she loved it. And, and it's in the show. So uh, I know it's not a very exciting one, <laughs> but uh, I, I will say one of the very exciting ones is, is hearing Chris Jackson just kind of go off and, and, you know, at the end of One Last Ride, uh, sorry, One Last Time. <laughs> it used to be One Last Ride off Broadway, and now it's One Last Time. Um, you know, uh, uh, every night, Chris uh, will do a different uh, uh, vocal riffing at the end. It's just whatever he feels. So it's super cool to hear a guy who has that kind of like proficiency in just improvising and and making it feel organic and making it feel full. And it, it's beautiful. So that that's a really wonderful thing to behold, to be right under Chris Jackson as he's just like, you know, singing, <laughs> just giving it at the end of that song. It, it's totally thrilling. And um, I, I'm going to guess here, I, I always still want to push you for one other thing, because I'm thinking maybe since I said, you know, orchestrator, that he might be asking, what's your favorite instrumental riff? Oh, maybe. wow. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of hooky, hooky There's a lot of hooky bits. stuff. You know, uh, uh, one that comes to mind right now is in uh, That Would Be Enough near the end. And I know there's a particular passage that Lynn loves. Um it's when Eliza sings and you decide to stay. And the strings just kind of do this like, like kind of rising line upward. And I know Lynn loves that very much. Um, I also love in uh, Satisfied and uh, right after Eliza, uh, sorry, right after uh, Angelica says, at least I keep his eyes on my life. The piano comes in and then the strings do this little like, and the drop happens. And it's just one of these really cool moments that I love. And there's actually a cool vine where you see like the strings playing that passage in a sound check and it, it just gets me every time. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit more about just kind of your, in general, your orchestration career, and then we'll circle back around to Hamilton sure. for a few more uh, things. 
Um, do you orchestrate, because I know you've done In the Heights, Bring It On, mm -hmm. this. Have you done also other more kind of traditional you know, shows? A, a little bit. Yeah. You know, actually, um, I was the dance arranger for the revival of Annie that happened in 2012. And uh, Michael Sarabin orchestrated that show. But there were a, a couple of moments where he asked me if I wanted to orchestrate some of my own dance arrangements. So um, the very last number in that show, um, uh, A New Deal for Christmas. I did the dance arrangements, but the entire like last half of the song I got to orchestrate. But that's like very big yeah. bandy, like <laughs> so like that was fun for me to try to do like the really cool like a uh, more traditional you know uh, Broadway ish kind of sound. <laughs> uh, but that was a lot of fun to, to do that together. Um, I have also with Starabin orchestrated some uh, Radio City stuff. Um, so there's actually this year at the. Um, at the Macy's Parade, the Rockettes performed an arrangement that I did of uh, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, titled We Wish You a Rocket Christmas. <laughs> and uh, Ooh, I, hey, clever. but that was fun <laughs> because, uh, you know, that also had like some digital elements as well and also had some like, you know, traditional, yeah. traditional uh, orchestrations. But it's funny, man, there was one year, I think it was 2012, where um, at the Macy's Parade, I couldn't believe it that there were three numbers on that year that I had a hand in orchestrating and they were all completely different. Bring It On performed. Mm -hmm. So that was like that orchestration. The Rockettes did their yeah. Christmas orchestration, which is the one that I just described. And then the Annie <laughs> song that I was just talking about also got performed. So really that's across the board in terms of styles and the fact that I was able to you know, uh, be involved with all of those. And that fact that they were all airing on Macy's was really crazy. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> so that was, that was an honor. All right. Well, any parting shots you'd just like to get off about your job, Hamilton, whatever, before we wrap this up? Gosh. I, I will say this. Um, working with your friends is an absolute blessing. You know, um, the family that we forged in, in the Heights, um, you know, with Tommy and Blank, uh, uh, Tommy Carroll, our director, Annie Blank and Bueller, our choreographer, uh, Lynn, our composer. Um, you know, the fact that we were able to get together and have a shorthand with each other to be able to like get the ego out of the room, to let it be just about the best idea, no matter who comes up with it. That's a very special thing. You know, you, you start shows and a lot of times there's a learning process in how to work with the people around you. You know, you have to like figure out when can I give them the criticism? You know, when's mm. the, the good time to, to approach them? How should I phrase this in a way that they, they won't feel hurt? But with us, we get mm. past all that BS and we can just like, just say what we really feel and know that our common goal is the same. We just want the show to be the best damn show that it could be. So um, we have each other's back in that way. We um, make each other better because all of us want to bring in our best selves when we get together. So, you know, my arrangement contribution needs to be as good as Andy's steps, which needs to be as good as Tommy's direction, which needs to be as good as Lynn's song. So it's, um, you know, we, we all fuel off each other. So, um, you know, I, I could work with those guys for the rest of my life and hopefully I will. Okay. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I like Slackamore. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're always you. so bubbly and friendly, not only to interview, but I think you, you were always doing a lot of rehearsals or something in my building at the studio. So oh, right I always on. ran into you and you're always such a, such a ray of sunshine and Thank energy. You. So Thank you, man. I, I know that's good for the show. I appreciate it. Thanks okay. so much. Thanks. And if you'd like to hear more from Alex Lackamore, we also have in the feed the full unedited interview. He also talks about how to market yourself as an orchestrator, more info around the casting of Hamilton, and a lot more. And it's not just Alex Lackamore. We have the full unedited interviews for everyone you hear on the main program. So be sure you check those out if you're looking for a little bit more information on that person or what they do. If you are a regular listener, or if you have just discovered Broadway Bullet, I have just set up a Patreon page. Please support our program by pledging a dollar amount for each podcast episode. I'm not going to make anything from these donations. All donations will go to expenses in producing the program and providing flexible, part-time jobs to theater students for helping with the editing, follow-up, and more. Visit patreon.com slash broadwaybullet to contribute, or just click the link on our main webpage. Thanks in advance for your support in creating quality theater podcast programming. Headphone Theater We've got a very special treat for you in this episode, and I'm hoping we can do more of this. This is a brand new original podcast musical. It's written by Kate Kerrigan and Brian Loudermilk, and it was originally produced by 
Naked Angels. It's a downtown theater company that directed, designed, and produced it. I'll tell you a little bit about the cast afterwards. Features a couple people you might know. But here it is. This is As You Were. Hello, friends. Cal Finnegan here, welcoming you to a very special episode of As You Were. You've heard me go on about the lives and secret histories of musicians, historians, presidents, people who light fires, people who fight liars. But there's one woman who's done it all. Friends, it's time. Today... We delight in the life of the most special, the most elusive, the most magnificent and horrifying woman of all, Mira. This is As You Were. What can be said about Mira Sonjevich? That she was solely responsible for the collapse of the Earth's ecological infrastructure? Sure. But she was also very, very beautiful. But let's start at the beginning. Mira burst into our consciousness at the tender age of five, when her mother filmed her receiving a hamburger at a local restaurant. It's ham? Oh, my stars and doodles! So big. It's a boat. It's a dream! It's a dream boat of ham! Just eat it. But she would not just eat it. Mira's delight at her dream boat of ham was as infectious as Krenz, the syndrome she would eventually both start and cure. And just like Krenz, the video went viral, garnering almost 7 million hits in its first hour online. Now, I'd like to take a moment to recognize the sponsor that keeps me on the air. Torkland's Laptops. The only functional laptop made of all-natural crispy tortilla. Torkland, the compostable, toastable laptop. Torkland. Delicious and surprisingly functional. And thank you for hiring my granddaughter, Haley. So, back to our journey. After her initial burst, Mira disappeared from the public eye for several years. And like all superstars, she knew it would take time to reinvent herself and graduate from elementary school. And when she reappeared, an 11-year-old butterfly Disney took notice. Life ain't easy. Life ain't no dream boat. All alone making root beer floats. Flipping burgers. Paying bills. Curling lizards. Doodles was a show about a young girl, Star, played by Mira, who was orphaned and left to run the family burger joint, alongside her pet-talking lizard, Doodles. Oh, no. Doodles, what's this mess? I was trying a new recipe. You see, Star, everyone's heard of candied ham, but how's about hammed candy? You get your tail out of that sugar bowl before I turn you into lizard candy. Zoinks! Camouflage! The show's many tween fans, full disclosure, myself included, loved it for its, its well-hidden genius. But everyone else hated it. Mira 
receded once more from the public eye, only to come back bigger than ever at 13. Dreamboat, dreamboat. Dreamboat, dreamboat. Dreamboat, dreamboat. Stars are in the sky, dreams are coming true. I can ride my, you can ride my dreamboat, dreamboat. Sky dreams are coming true. I can ride my, you can ride my dreamboat, dreamboat. Dreamboat charted at number two dreamboat, on the top dreamboat. 40 pop hit list and stayed there for an astonishing 8,000 weeks. In fact, it was still at number two when it was surpassed by Dreamboat Remix, Ride It, released by a now 16 year old Mira who was eager to shed her little girl image. I can ride my, you can ride my, I can ride my, you can ride my, row, row, row your boat, gently down this dream. Ride it, ride it, R to the I to the D to the E. You can ride my, I can ride my, you can ride my, I can ride my Row, row, row your boat, gently down this dream, yeah Oh, our stars and doodles, America was floored How could this, this bedroom vixen be the same little girl who didn't understand what a hamburger was? There were those who said this was the end of the road for Mira those of us who knew her, her Mirites, her fans, we who would follow her to the ends of time and space, we knew Mira would transcend culture. Once again, as you were, graciously thanks our sponsor, Torkland's Laptops. Torkland's, because sometimes you want your internet barbecue flavored. Avoid salsa when plugged into the wall. Thank you, Torklands. On with our saga. Anyone who was alive in 2268 recognizes this ditty. The revamped Olympic anthem. From the year Mira won the gold in singles tennis for the U.S. and ski diving, a sport she invented. Oh, my stars, my stars, our dreams are set a-sail. Our hopes aloft, we whisper soft, our Herculean years old, she was Herculean indeed, breaking down walls left and right, both socially as a human rights ambassador to all of West Africa, and literally as chief construction manager for Donovia, the first company to successfully build a hydroelectric dam on the moon. It was during this trip that Mira's voice broke the sound barrier. Let me hear you beg Let me hear you scream Here I break your heart Here I break your heart Every meteoric rise 
suffers a meteoric fall. As Angel Mira did during her Super Bowl halftime special, when a meteor landed midfield. Dreamboat, dreamboat. Holy shit! That is not on the pyrotechnics list. A giant rock killed thousands and grazed Mira's left shoulder, which, to this very day, bears a deep, jagged scar. A scar Mira tattooed there to remember the meteor, which did no actual damage to her skin. The event was a first brush with mortality for a newly adult Mira, who took it as a sign to get back to her roots. Today is the yesterday of tomorrow. We are where we are here, and America is the Africa of tomorrow. As all civilization began in Africa, so did Mira's film career. Where do you go, white woman child? To the field, adoptive father! There are landmines out there! I know. Landmine tanked at the box office. But it did introduce Mira to her first husband. Together, they made a series of unfortunate sex tapes that introduced the world to position Doodle Down. After the murder divorce, Mira lay low for a while. It was during this period that she would sometimes make surprise appearances at small clubs and restaurants, shrouding her face in a 3D photo of the performer before or after her for anonymity. But I was there for one of these nights, and her presence it was unmistakable. I wish I had audio here, but anyone caught with a recording device within one mile of an Anonymera show was swiftly dumped into an ice compactor. But luckily, the brain is a recording device. Faulty, but unbannable. And I... I have my memories. Mira's dreamboat finally came in when she met Roti, president-turned-dictator of a large landmass in Arctic Canada. Roti's wrathful leadership was surpassed only by Mira's. But her fans' rabid love followed her even to the grimmest of places. She might have stayed able to salvage her reputation were it not for her tireless campaign to melt the polar ice caps. And the rest is well known. The mass uprising, Roti's execution, the environmental collapse, the space pods, the quarantine, the space locust infestation of the space pods, and finally, the ship that flew Mira out to Red Dwarf 12, our galactic trash can. But it didn't. It couldn't have. Folks, this is where I will diverge from the history tomes and the news pods. And I know what you're thinking. Mira was transparent. Every moment of her life was recorded. We saw her get on the ship. We witnessed her silent salute before being space compacted. But I have my memory. And Mira had her ways. She disappeared. 
No one has disappeared in a century, but she did it. There are rumors of caves far below where the Andes used to be. And I, I think it's, it's just a strong sense. Folks, I may disappear too. Mira sang one song that night at the club. I had never heard it before, and I never heard it again, except in my mind. We played on an unreliable loop. It went something like, Never saw you, something caught out in the rain. Spent my whole life sailing, never felt much pain. Never saw you something, and now you're here. It's a boat. It's a dream. It's a dream boat. I've had. I. I must go see. And thank you, Torklets. And thank you all for listening. And but I. I am. Uh, look, I'm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to. Uh, Oh, God. I, 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 I have to get out. Hi. So, that was the last podcast Granddad ever made. He disappeared shortly after that said he was headed for the caves. I hope he found her. I'm a mom now. I married the CEO of Torklands. <laughs> I'm not sure why I told you that, or exactly who I'm speaking to. <sighs> this is Haley Finnegan, and this was As You Were. This is Cal Finnegan on the 206th day of my journey. And I'm here, here at the cave. Boats, boats where my dreams told me I would, I might find her. And it is beautiful and, uh, and empty. And empty. Oh, my stars. If you've come to kill me, you're too late. I'm already dead. Mira. The pitcher in front of me has been poisoned. One sip will do. Nothing will escape my lips. I'll drink before I divulge anything. Mira. I, I am your greatest admirer. Oh. Well, I was bluffing about the drink. It's just herbal tea. Would you like a cup? Well, sure. You found me. I knew someone would eventually. What agency are you with? No, please, believe me, I'm a nobody, just a fan. One who has followed you. The only one. I find it hard to believe. There was a song. I heard you sing it just once. You were wearing a mask, but could only be you behind it. I'm sure. Something about a rain and sailing. Never saw you coming. Yes. Never saw you coming. Never had a clue Spent my whole life dreaming No
remember about you Never saw you coming Then I held your hand Time slipped through our fingers Lost like grains of sand If only If only If only we had planned Never got our dream boat Never sailed till dawn Never saw you coming And now you're gone You gave the world so much I only wish we could give you something back. But you have. You are. You saw me. If only. If only. If only we had. So that was As You Were, written by Kate Kerrigan and Brian Loudermilk, and produced by Naked Angels, and among other people in the cast, Katie Thompson, our redhead extraordinaire, and Bill Perry were in there. So uh, if you like this, um, and you know somebody else who writes stuff, if you're interested in a radio drama or a radio musical, uh, let us know. Submit something. Um, if it's just a radio drama, uh, in fact, I can produce it with some fantastic actors around here. So give me an email at broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com. I'd also like to give a special shout out right here to newmusicaltheater.com. It's a website where performers can find sheet music by the new generation of musical theater writers. Featuring music by more than 40 contemporary writers, NMT provides digital sheet music that you can store on your computer forever. Visit us at New Musical Theater. Up close. It's not too often I get to say that I, I'm talking with somebody who's a legend in theater already, and Andrea McCardle certainly fits that bill. Uh, she has been working constantly since, uh, I don't know if it was her debut way back when, but uh, we'll discuss that, I'm sure. <laughs> And uh, right now, she is starring in the off-Broadway two-hander, To Across, uh, which is about life, love, and crossword puzzles. And she is in the studio here to talk with everybody. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good. So, To Across, what attracted you to this play? Let's, let's... Well, it's, I'm going on to my 45th year as a professional in show business, wow. which is crazy in <laughs> itself. And um, I have never done a play. You've never done a play? No, never. I mean, you know, when your Broadway debut is uh, as Annie and Annie, <laughs> musicals soon do follow. So, <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I do concentrate a lot on my, you know, my concerts and, and my musical career mm-hmm. um, as a singer. And, um, and being that, you know, the ingenue years are over, um, it's going to be a couple more, a few more years before I'm, like, considered up against, you know, the tried and true for like, you know, the great thing about theater is like some of the best roles for women or for women over 50, yeah. which, um, you know, glad I stuck around. <laughs> but um, so in the meantime, you know, I really, I mean, I started on TV. Um, I did a soap opera for three years and I did Welcome Back Cotter and I did, you know, some episodic sitcom stuff. And This was before Annie or before, after? Oh, before, before, yeah. So Annie was just my Broadway debut, yeah. but I was like a television kid um, ah. before that. But as soon as I did theater, I was, you know... I felt like I was home. I have I have severe ADD, and so that hurry up and wait never worked as much as like being shot out of a cannon in a show. So that's so a good description theater, for theater. Theater yes. appealed to me immediately, and I also was like a fiercely independent kid. 
um, wouldn't tell my parents very much about anything that went on, you know, behind behind the stage door and loved that. And I loved the privacy and and the fact that in television, you know, everything is done for you. They treat you somewhat like a little bit of an idiot, yeah. you know, and, and like a little patronizing. And so I, I also love with theater that there was none of that, you know, self-sufficient. You know, you have to do it yourself. Check your props, you know, make sure you're there on time. You treat it like an adult. And I just all of that appealed to me. So, to, so okay, so you wanted to do a play, and, I mean, what made the, if you haven't done plays, I didn't realize it's your first play, you did very well. I mean, other than Vagina Monologues, which isn't really even a play, <laughs> you know, it's not like a book play, it's it's a different piece of theater, but other than that. Um, and so did I, you I audition, or were you approached? Well, I, I actually auditioned for one of Jerry's earlier shows, he did a show called Dietrich and Chevalier. and it was not something I saw myself in, but at the urging of my agents, I went in and and you know, did my audition. Um, I rarely get any of my jobs by auditions. Mm -hmm. I'm probably probably one of the worst. <laughs> um, and I think the longer you're in the business, I think the harder that gets. You mean to audition or? You... Yeah, to audition. Mm -hmm. um, usually, everybody, it doesn't usually, everybody get Usually I get, I get my jobs by them seeing me in something and say, you know what, I really just want to work with her. And, um, and this was another case of that. So what, what, what about the piece attracts you? It's a... Well, I think he's such a clever writer, Jerry. I mean, he had an illustrious television career in some of my favorite shows. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore, MASH, Bob Newhart. Like, the, this is what, you know, I grew up on mm -hmm. and, um, you know, along with the rest of America. And he produced the facts of life. I mean, that, that's just great, great, cheesy 70s TV, you know. And, and, um, and I like his writing style, you know. He, he's, he's a clever writer, you know. He's an older guy now, but he's, he's very, very sharp. How is doing a two-hander? I you like never, it. You never leave the stage. Yeah. No, but yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're on and off. There's no intermission. Yeah. You know, it, fly, it flies by. Um, I like it. You know, the waiting is hard for me. So usually with the roles I get in musicals, there's not much waiting around. <laughs> you know, so, um, so that works. But, um, but I, I do. I like, the, I like this genre, and, and it, it's fun. And I figured I'd get my feet wet with, like, something, you know, light and, you know, a mm -hmm. little easy. Yeah, and uh, and then delve into the more you know serious stuff. <laughs> now, when you right before we started talking, you were going, "This is crazy doing a three three performance a week schedule," and I don't think you mean by taxing crazy. No, it, it it's 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 weird in another way because yeah. it um you don't really get you don't really get a flow and you don't really get that kind of um you know what attracts people thespians real like hardcore thespians is like you want to go back and say. Oh, I really slipped here yesterday, you know, and, and you get to go back and fix it and revisit it. Film is a whole other beast, which mm -hmm. I really want to do more of. Um, but but that's that's harder in another way. You get you, you know, you do it once and you got to you got to get it right once in theater. You got to keep it. You got to keep it right. And when things evolve and change, nothing stays the same. It's that's that's something that that has always attracted me, you know. Now you spent the you do the majority of your career in live theater concerts and and right. live performance and right. uh, my uh, theater professor you know has a one of my graduate theater professors Todd Ristow always says you know constantly theater famous ain't famous yet you're probably one of those few people that theater famous people know your name people know who you are well I think it was a unique sound um, mm -hmm. I never approached it as a um, you know all the all the stuff I listened to I grew up in Philadelphia. I listened to a lot of jazz. I listened to a lot of R&B, a lot of the sound of Philly and, you know, 70s pop. Um, and so I never, you know, I never have, I still don't have a whole lot of Broadway, you know, in my musical collection. Mm -hmm. It's what I, that's my job. That's what I do. And I love that when I'm there and living in it, you know, and being there. But that's not really what I listen to. And I really don't think that's how I approach, you know, mine's kind of a fusion. I have had very little training and a lot of on-the-job training. Mm -hmm. But I think I approached... Um, you know, I used to get in trouble all the time for scooping and, and doing things in, in songs that you're not really supposed to do. But then I say, well, if I sing, you know, like the way you want me to sing, I sound like so many other people, which I have no interest in. <laughs> so well, I think that's like a thing a lot of Broadway actors miss or something. Because they're all trained. Yeah, there's a sound. You all sound alike. But all the names, all the people you know in theater have their... All their mistakes are yeah. like, they're, they're like the happy accidents. Yeah. And so I'm a believer in that. Where for me anyway, be, not not for everyone, you know. Where would we be without being able to impersonate Carol Channing? Exactly. Or <laughs> Stritchy, or, you know, I mean, even Cheetah, like when you listen, like Cheetah was so great, Cheetah Rivera was so great as a singer and a dancer, and I mean, as, as a dancer and an actress, but people forget what a great singer she was. 
is, you know? I mean, like the, the pipes, you know, you, in order to do that eight times a week, you, you have to have pipes, you have to have an instrument. And, um, and it's hard on your voice. I mean, so many kids who played Annie, you know, ruptured chords. And I mean, you know, I go to doctors. There's one, um, Dr. Sadiloff, he's an ENT in Philadelphia. And he said, it's a wonder you can even sing at all anymore. Because we had, that was with no microphones. Mm -hmm. you oh, know? yeah. It was the be. last show. Like, Evita was the first one where they did sound design. And that was 79. So doing that eight times a week as a little wow. kid. I didn't even think of that, that there was no money. Right, stuff. right. That's why her numbers are always front and center, because there was one foot mic at the bottom that just picked up, you know, the amplified sound. But <laughs> still, that's not like being body mic. Yeah. You know, for me, when we switched to body mics, that was a whole other thing for me, because I was frightened. I felt like I had to pull back. And you can't pull back once you're hitting a D, you know. <laughs> you can't, there's only, you know, you can't control the, now I can a little bit yeah. more than I used to be able to, but. But most of it was because you needed to be heard. There's there's a reason that maybe it was sung like that. It wasn't because yeah. I needed to belt everything that I did. Yeah. <laughs> you just needed to be heard in the balcony. So, wow, yeah, yeah. that's a, now also so for some newbie. I mean, Annie, I I think you know that I'm not sure what it is. I was pretty young, but I do know Annie was like one of those musicals that captured like a national zeitgeist. I mean, I think it had like the buzz like Hamilton has now. And like the producers it, and like yeah. Wicked. And you know, it was like the epiphany. It, it got, I think Annie and Fame, the two two yeah. projects that I think were responsible for polluting a whole lot of kids and putting <laughs> them in this business, whether their parents liked it or not. But what is that like for a, for a young girl to... Deal, to not deal well, with now I'm fine with it, but yeah. I did have a few sketchy years where I was like just somewhat embarrassed by it. You know, I mean, when when all they think you you know you're invited to sing tomorrow everywhere <laughs> I've done it at every Democratic National Convention and yeah. every White House and you know all of those all of those things every bar mitzvah every you know every everything <laughs> and um, and then all, all I would say is that as long as I if I sing that song you just have to let me sing something else so they can know they know I can sing something else because you know it is you you do there is a little bit of a responsibility with it and I was somewhat embarrassed for um several years and then I made my piece kind of at like 21 it truly is probably out of all the standards it's maybe like probably it's the, like sound the of music no, it's Americana yeah. you know I mean I mean it fits for every charity every you know make a wish foundation everything i mean because it's a song about inspiration you know but was it was it hard dealing with with that kind of did you feel any pressure as a young kid or with that kind of attention yeah you do you know i mean like uh i worked with brooke shields early we did our first commercial i had done like 50 commercials before that mm -hmm. and um one of the commercials i did was with her and you know she wanted to be me i wanted to be her i remember us being in time magazine on the same page with like Jodie Foster, Brooke Shields, and myself. And mm -hmm. Brooke Shields is like, you know, draped out in this gorgeous, you know, just looking all smashing and beautiful. And I'm sitting there with a sweatsuit on and a big bubble in my mouth, you know, with like that horrible yeah. Annie haircut. And I was like, you know, just please let me die and wake up her. And, and she's like, same thing. Neither one of us had a prom date. I had to go all the way to Ocean City, New Jersey to get a prom date. Because people are intimidated, you know. They think that, you know, you're an actor. Oh, you, you know, you have your pick of the litter. And people are just... You know, especially kids, you know, you, you tendency is to want to be kind of like, you know, the pack. So it, it was a little it was a little hard adolescing also because I adolesced so late. So all my friends were already through the funky stage and I was just like getting into it. <laughs> so how often now you've worked steadily and constantly since, you know, which is great. A lot I have. I worked a little bit less because um, at 20, at 25, I had my daughter who's now mm -hmm. 27. So, oh. um, so you don't I look did, like you have a 27 Oh yeah. Dollar. Oh yes, I do. <laughs> yes. And the gray hairs to prove it. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, I worked less and I picked, I was lucky. I was able to, um, you know, be supported financially enough that I could pick and choose projects. So I, I definitely worked less than I would have if I hadn't decided to have a family, but that was something I really wanted early on. So I know you. I know you have a stipulated in your contract that if you have a concert, you know that will lead to a lot of concerts as your lifeblood. Does uh, does that allow you to pick and choose more which shows you'd like to do as well, having that other regular kind of side? Yeah, um, I mean, I never want to ignore the singer in myself because that's my true that that's my true love. But I love you know I love you know putting together an incredible book and incredible material and and becoming somebody else. So. I'm, I'm about to do uh, Reno Sweeney and Anything Goes this summer mm -hmm. um, at Ogunquit and Gateway Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And um, I thank God for regional theater because, you know, it, just to keep your chops, 
you know, sharp. Um, because there are so many great productions. The bad thing for me is that not many people in New York, you know, the mm -hmm. powers that be don't get to see it. But I'm still, you know, I'm still going step by step by step because, you know, I'm going to play the Mama Roses. I want to play, you know, the Dolly Levi's, which I just played this, this past mm -hmm. year, and the Mames, you know. I'm not about Jerry Herman. I love all of his stuff. Yeah, I think he, he just writes great stuff for women. Yeah. <laughs> he loves women. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I love his take and I, I love his melodies. So I, I enjoy doing that. So I can't wait to get back on Broadway and do something, you know, some, maybe, maybe something new. Well, I know. And, and you still, you do, I believe, if I'm not uh, mistaken, that you, you take on developmental work too. I think I saw you in a nymph show. I, I do. I mean, um, it was actually a chance to work with uh, Felicia Finley um, and Paul Stancato, her her husband, who directed. We did a we did a really fun show, uh, Greenwood, and we got together a whole bunch of friends, and you know, um, we'd be hanging out together anyway. So, um, so I do. You know, I'm I'm careful because it is once you once you go like you know Broadway end of the line, it's it is hard to go backwards. It's definitely hard to go backwards, but I think it's important. You know. That's where you become self-sufficient, and you don't trust anybody. You check your props. You do, you know, you do all that stuff, and there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. Are you on the hunt as a as a as a performer musically as well? Are you on the hunt for like new composers? Uh, as you, yeah. I mean, I I always like things that are sent to me. I, I you know, I'm always anxious to listen to. Yeah. Are yeah. there are there any up and coming names that you're singing that you think you know deserve a shot out I'm there? I'm not. I've really been doing um, because I do the show called Four Girls Four with. Uh, Faith Prince, Donna McKechnie, and Maureen McGovern. Um, we go all over the country, and we have, so really, we're, we do a lot more of the classics, so mm -hmm. I, because we've had so many concerts um, in the past two years, I've been concentrating more on that, so I, I, I really, I'm anxious to kind of like, you know, get a whole dose of, of uh, young new composers. Where are the war stories in that in that dressing room? You know what? Every, you know what? I mean, I wish I could say there was like some kind of like craziness, but we all just adore each other. No, I don't so mean war much. stories as in like fight. I mean like got between the names uh, you just mentioned. You know what? There's I think, like I really think they need to do a documentary because <laughs> the stuff that you hear from the airport, in the airports, on the airplane, in in the limo, at the tech rehearsal, and everybody has like the one story's better than the next. <laughs> And then you think your stories are good, then you hear some of the others and you go, whoa, this is rich. It's rich stuff. <laughs> so we have, we have a ball together. And what are, what are some of your favorite shows you've done over, over the past few years? Well, I must say I underestimated um, Hello, Dolly. That was um, probably one of the biggest bears of a role that I've ever mm -hmm. done. Um, that was a, it was a shock because it's kind of deceiving when you see it. It just seems a little lighter and fluffier than it actually mm -hmm. is when you get into it. I loved playing um, Mame. Uh, I did Mame with uh, Leah Delaria was mm. my Vera. Okay. And we had we had some big fun. Um, anxious to do something with her again. Um, Ava Perone, I've done several times. Um, loved that. And um, so many. I've done uh, Blood Brothers. I love playing Mrs. Johnstone. I did a production of that um, with my daughter in one of the leads. And... Um, Oh gosh, Peter Pan. I I did Peter Pan in Kathy Rigby's company years ago, and um, that's something I would actually like to uh, consider doing again. I love that role. I love mm -hmm. that show. So in the meantime, if people aren't nearby one of your concerts that you're you're going on, they can catch you in an open run right now for Two Across. Yes, right? yes, um, and and it's a fun show. And we did put um, we do put the uh, Barbara Streisand, Michael Bublé. Um, it had to be you at the end of it. Yeah, I was wondering if that you, yeah. you make it look very like oh, we're just going to do this tonight. And yes, yeah, so I was yeah, wondering if that was an did, everything well, or not. Partly it was because of the holidays. Like mm -hmm. we thought we were maybe going to do like some holiday song because it's just so weird for me to be in something where there's no music. <laughs> and so, and I also was questioning. The appeal, I was like, you know, are the people that come in, you know, my fan base, are they going to come and see me in this? And I figured I'd make it a little bit more enticing. And I think that everything, every lyric in that song, it had to be you. It fits the It's a nice it, end it's, it's something that Janet would say to Josh, which are our two characters in the play. And um, and so we thought long and hard about that. But it, but not one thing that, that I say in that song I wouldn't say to him at the like after yeah after everything resolves yeah it does, it does so I, I seem like you know nice I thought fit. it felt it fit really well all right so uh, two across at the uh, St Luke's Theater 
Which, yes. I, in all my time I'd been in New York, I'd never seen a show in that space. It's a, it's a nice theater. Well, Seth Rudetsky's uh, mm. Disaster just premiered there, and uh -huh. now they're on their way to Broadway. I happen to know because I share uh, my conductor, Steve Marzullo, uh, did all the vocal arrangements for that. Mm. And um, Seth is a really good friend of mine. I was just in Canada doing a concert with him. And uh, they're headed to Broadway. So, you know, they're launching some, uh, some prominent stuff. All right. Well, best of luck continuing in that run. Thank and, you. And as your concerts continue throughout, and best of luck hitting all those golden roles and as your career heads into five, six, seven decades. Yes. Of, <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up episode one of season seven. I'm excited to get going again. We're going to have a lot more for you. We've got eight more episodes this season. And we're going to be the first and third Tuesday of every month through May. So uh, be sure you check us out. So that means our next episode is going to be February 2nd. Who's going to be in it? I haven't quite decided yet out of all the great interviews. So tell all your theater-loving friends about Broadway Bullet and how to download it and listen, etc. I don't have a lot of time to market this thing with my full-time job and everything else going on. But the best people in the world... To spread the word are you guys, the listeners, anyway. So let us let them know. Tell them it's a good show to listen to. And uh, we'll see you again shortly. Broadway Bullet is produced and hosted by myself, Michael Gilbo. Associate producer this season is Ronnie Jones. And I'd like to give a special thanks once more to our location sponsors, the Dramatist Guild Fund, and the funny, funny, funny comedy, Sheer Madness. So uh, check that out, and thank you, everyone. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.